welcome to mini episode 80 of Real Life Ghost Stories. Before we start this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Cassandra Salisbury, Athena Beth Black, Sarah Shreve, Melissa Dittmanson, Melissa Trahan, Natalie, Signe Shearbeck, Beverly Thornton, Tina Oliver, Katie Ramsberg, Siobhan Roxburgh, Amy, Caitlin Penniston, Amy H., Jamie Siegel, Donnie Rayner, Rebecca O'Sullivan, Sarah Griffiths, Carly Dylag, and Christine Donahue. Thank you so much for subscribing to our Patreon. I appreciate it so much. So I have three lovely spooky stories for you today. And the last story from today is from August the 5th, 2020. And story number one comes from Steffi. Growing up, there was always a sense of something there in certain spots of the house. It never scared me as my mum and dad also had the same experiences. And we've always been open about discussing them, so it never felt weird. If anyone was upstairs, the floorboards always creaked. It did not matter which room you were in, the floorboards creaked. It became the norm to instantly know who was in what room upstairs by the sound of footsteps and how the floorboards creaked. The same way you could always tell who was going up or down the stairs as some of the steps creaked. However, it was a regular occurrence to hear light footsteps, hear the groan of the floorboards and hear someone moving from the spare bedroom into the landing and then into the office and vice versa. This would happen throughout the day and night. My mum, dad and I would be sat in the living room and would hear it regularly. We would even make comments of, oh, he's going for a walk again. Now the only other person in the house apart from the three of us was a very sassy tortoiseshell cat named Lulu. And there is no way a cat could make floorboards groan in this manner unless she suddenly developed a love for wearing heavy workman style boots. I had a desk in my bedroom that was positioned opposite the door. So when on the computer, your back was to the door, I would always subconsciously close my door if I went on my computer. As if the door was left open, I would have an overwhelming feeling of a male presence on the landing looking into my room. I would hear the creaking, doing the same route. I never felt threatened, just aware that I had company. Now, as I got older and had boyfriends come over, naturally I would want some privacy. One occasion, I had reconfigured the furniture so my bed was now opposite the door against the wall. My boyfriend was sat on my bed and I was tidying stuff away in my wardrobe when he got up to use the bathroom. He couldn't get out of the room. The doorknob would not budge. I laughed and made a weak as a baby comment. But when I tried it, it would not budge either. We each tried with all of our weight to twist and pull the door open, but it wouldn't move a muscle. I called my dad who was downstairs and found it hilarious that I had to call him on my phone to come upstairs to open a door, and he attempted to open the door from the other side, but he still couldn't get it open. He huffed and shuffled down the stairs to grab some tools, and I could hear him thanks to the staircase creaking. I stood against the door, and I could not say why I did this, but I put it down to when people make comments when flustered like, come on, please work. But something subconsciously made me say, please open the door now and I'll leave the door open when he's here. I sighed and twisted the handle once more and it slowly unclicked from the door frame and opened. 
Needless to say, everyone else believed that the door mechanism just needed oiling, but I believe my gentleman ghost was the source of this. He had also freaked out my boyfriend on numerous occasions throughout the night. I've been woken to him saying, I don't want to freak you out, but he's in the doorway. My boyfriend would explain that he would hear creaking and then look towards the landing if the door was left open to see such an intensely dark shape in the doorway. I would always shrug it off and say, oh, he's just checking up on me, leave him alone. I'm a firm believer that the spirit that resides in my parents' house has a male presence and I like to believe he just wants to check up on me and ensure I'm okay. Or he's trying to take the role of a protective father when teenage boyfriends are involved. Either way, I appreciate it. My watcher also tends to stand at the top of the stairs by the window and look down the staircase. You would catch him there in the form of a dark, human-sized shadow. You'd never see any features, such as legs, arms or a face. Just a dark, human-sized shadow, like he's trying to look out the window or likes to watch you walk to the kitchen. I would see him in the corner of my eye, or if I turned to fully look up at the top of the stairs, it would be present for just a second and then go up the remaining steps to the landing. My theory for this watcher is that because the house was two flats originally, maybe he was a past resident of the first floor flat. Continuing his little routines like looking out onto the garden, walking between rooms and just living his version of life. He has never bothered me or my parents and I experienced his little presence for the 18 years that I lived with my parents. We've all agreed that if we don't bother him, he won't bother us, and we can all live in harmony. Now, as I mentioned in the previous story, my parents' house used to be two separate flats. On the ground floor, there have been a couple of instances whereby it felt like someone was watching you, but this individual likes to cause more unease. I've never quite sensed what type of presence this is, I'm not sure if it's male or female or if it means actual ill will or it's simply bored sometimes and needs a bit of excitement in the afterlife. During the school holidays when I was 15, I'd be left at home all day while my parents were working. I would have a little chore list to complete such as unload the dishwasher or hoover the ground floor. The usual boring things that teenagers find deeply inconvenient and shocking to be asked to help with. I would do the chores and, like most teens, sit and watch TV and snack on anything good in the cupboards. However, on one occasion I sat down after completing the tasks that my mum had asked me to do and turned the TV on. My cat sauntered to join me and then suddenly out of the corner of my eye I noticed something dart towards me. I naturally flinched in that split second. My cat turned bristly and spiky and noped the fuck out of the room in an instant. I felt a heavy thud next to me on the sofa. I turned and saw the remote next to me. I looked over at the two-seaters and an all-encompassing sense of dread filled me. I had never felt so rooted to the spot as I did then. Every ounce of me wanted to move and walk out of the room, but I would not, for the life of me, get my legs to cooperate. As I turned to look at the remote once more, and then the TV volume went down, I could see on the TV the little volume icon telling you the level of your sound descending to zero. There was no dark shadow in the room with me. There was nothing visible in the room except for me that could have done that. 
After what seemed like an eternity and no doubt a rush of adrenaline, I got up and walked out of the living room, closed the door, picked up the cat and walked upstairs to my room, only remembering to breathe once I'd reached the top of the stairs. I did not leave my room until I heard my dad's car in the driveway. I've only had one occasion where I genuinely feared for my safety and felt that a presence wanted to do me harm. For a little background context, I am from a big, loud, football-mad Scouse family. Any excuse for a gathering and all of the family will descend. When Liverpool are playing on the TV, it's no exception. Whoever had the TV subscription to watch the match, that was whose house the family would descend on, with food and beer in large supply. This time it was at my parents' house. My mum would be in the kitchen preparing the food and ensuring that dinner was ready for straight after the match, but also that snacks were available at half-time. My dad would be preparing the living room, with every chair available in the house. We're talking dining chairs, office chairs, ottomans, and even the garden chairs were used to ensure that every bum had a seat to watch the match. On average, between the two living rooms, there would be 20-plus people packed in like sardines. It was great, and the atmosphere was always good and loud and energetic. My job was always to take the coats of the family members arriving, take them upstairs and place them on my parents' bed out of the way. I did this a million times, and this evening was no exception. My nan and granddad were the last to arrive. I took their coats, and after being hugged and smooched on the cheek as nan does, I went upstairs to put their coats on the bed. I did not turn on the staircase or landing light to do these trips. The hallway, kitchen and living room lights were on so it illuminated the staircase and landing enough to see where I was going. Once I placed the coats on the bed, I turned to walk back into the landing. I noticed a strange change in the atmosphere. Do you know when you can feel a thunderstorm about to happen? That sudden change in the air? That's how I felt. The landing went cold and I could no longer hear the noise of all of my family downstairs. Suddenly, even with the glow from the downstairs lights climbing up the staircase, I felt very alone and very scared. I could sense that I was being watched. However, unlike my usual friendly watcher, this felt menacing, like it was glaring at me, watching me like an animal stalking its prey from behind. My heart started to beat and I could feel myself start to tense up. And then it prodded me. Whatever it was, slowly yet firmly prodded the centre of my back forward toward the first half of the staircase. I slowly stumbled towards the top of the staircase and grabbed the banister. The feeling of something right behind me was overwhelming. I could feel my fight-or-flight instinct screaming at me to move and go back downstairs to the safety of people and light. I made it down the first few steps and stood next to the staircase window looking down at the second half of the staircase. I could see the hallway at the bottom of the stairs. Yet fear had just taken over every muscle in me. My mind went numb and I couldn't think of anything except it's behind me. Before I had the chance to move on my own accord, it violently shoved me quickly from behind and my foot slipped from the first step and I stumbled halfway down the stairs. I grabbed my hand out and took hold of the banister and stopped myself from falling down the full length of the staircase. I flew myself down the remaining steps, heart beating out of my chest, tears welling up in my eyes and fear like I've never felt it before. 
It was such a surreal sight. I could see into both the living rooms from the bottom of the staircase. My family were all around laughing, cheering and talking. It was light and warm. But I was stood, motionless like a statue in the hallway, and nobody noticed. It was like I was looking into their life and I was invisible. However, after a few seconds I clicked back into reality and felt the warmth of the house. The noise. And I realised that it was safe now, among everybody. I turned and looked back up the staircase. And I wish I hadn't. There, by the window, was a pitch-black shadowy form. Taller than the window. But I was confused as to how it could be so dark up there, considering the sheer amount of light with the whole of the ground floor lit up. How even the climbing light didn't do anything to affect the shadow. It gave off such a dark feeling. I knew that it was not my usual gentleman watcher. It floated to the right and then disappeared up the remaining steps to the landing. I turned and was shook back to life by my nan, who wanted to know all about how I was and if I wanted to join her on the sofa while the match was on. I sat zoned out that entire football match, making light conversation with my nan. She can talk for Britain so it's easy to let her keep the conversation going for both of us. But all the while I was thinking about what the hell had just happened on the staircase. I never felt such an entity again in the house. I like to believe my usual watcher dealt with it as he continues to be present even to this day. My mum will occasionally say he is up to his usual routine and I've seen and heard him when I visit. But whatever it was, I want to have words and maybe the chance to dropkick it. But I know at the moment I'd be too scared. My nan has often told me this story, which sparked my interest in the supernatural from a very young age. I believe you have told stories like this, and I do firmly believe that it is only ever meant to be a caring and sweet encounter, even if it's only for a fleeting moment. My great-grandfather was known as Pop to everyone. Family and friends had always referred to him like this, and it was just part and parcel to continue to call him that even now. He was a big drinker, and was a regular at the local pub. Like many men in a bygone era, men wearing hats such as a trilby were commonplace, and my great-grandfather was no exception. When he passed away, friends and family gathered and it was a huge affair, with many coming to pay their last respects but also no doubt mourning the loss of income that the pub would now lose. My nan, being a young woman at the time of his passing, helped with the funeral plans and the wake afterwards, which was held at the local pub he frequented so much. She explained to me that she had felt so upset, so lost, and had the natural feeling of, what do I do now without him here? As a sign of respect, the pub landlord had placed Pop's trilby hat on top of the old television set, which was set in the corner of the pub. No doubt for the regulars to watch the football or the horse racing. My nan then explained that once all of the mourners, extended family and friends had left, she was tidying away the leftovers of food and putting the chairs and tables back to their original spots in the pub. When out of the corner of her eye, she saw something dart towards her. She flinched, as you naturally would, and saw Pop's trilby hat lying on the ground right in front of her. She explained that she wasn't terrified, more, what the hell? And attempted to rationalise it as a gust of wind that must have knocked it off. 
However, the speed at which the hat had travelled from the TV set where it had been placed throughout the wake, where no one had touched it, to now right in front of her on the floor deeply uneased her. She picked it up and turned to walk towards the TV set to place it back on top. When she saw him, Sitting on the seat that was known to be Pop's favourite place to sit in the pub was Pop himself. My nan stated that when she saw him, it was 100% in the flesh. There was no ghostly style appearance, no distorted face, no pale expression. Pops was sat in his seat, looking at her as if he was still alive and waiting to talk to her and to have a pint. The second she met his gaze, a sense of love and warmth came to her. She didn't feel scared or upset and she instantly felt calm. She placed his hat back on the TV set and cautiously sat in the seat next to him. Looking at each other, my nan said, I love you and I miss you. How do I cope without you here? To which my nan claims that he smiled at her, gave her a look as if to say, I'm proud of you, kid, and he gently evaporated until there was no sight of him in the chair. My nan has fondly told this story a thousand times and she always smiles when telling us this. She is adamant that it was her father just wanting to check in before leaving and I like to believe that you can do that with a loved one even if it's just for a brief moment. Over 50 years on it still brings her comfort that he cared for his little girl. And story number two comes from JC. My mother told me this one. When I was young, about three to five years old, we lived in Texas, while my mom went to college. She found this house to rent that was on a decent chunk of land at a fair price, which was exactly what a young single parent needed. She moved herself and myself into this house, and I'm not sure how soon, but eventually weird things started happening. My mom said that I would sit in the room and talk a lot. She thought that I was playing and talking to myself, Sort of like kids do when they play with toys, but when she listened, she noticed that I was talking to someone and then I would stop and wait for a response, to which I would also reply. Later, she told a story of how the dogs, we had three of them, stood in a circle near the front door and were looking up towards the ceiling and barking as if they were surrounding something. Shortly before or after that, I told my mom. Mom, that man doesn't like when the dogs are in the house. To which she responded, No, he's okay with the dogs, we asked him. And I said, very matter of fact, No, Mom, not that man, the other one. Sometime later, my uncle, who was very close to my age, was staying the night. He woke up in the middle of the night, sat straight up in bed, turned to the wall and said, Don't worry. We'll ask them to take the dogs outside. He then laid back and went to sleep. Another weird reoccurring thing was the water heater going out. The water heater would never stay lit for more than five minutes at a time. Even after my mom had bought a new one and had it installed, it would never stay on for longer than five minutes. We came to find out later that there was an old man who lived in the house prior and he had hunting dogs that he kept outside. One day, the water heater caught on fire and the old man died. The next story is not spooky, but rather sweet and comforting. I was going through a really hard time in my life about a year ago, maybe almost two by the time you see this. 
I was struggling spiritually and emotionally, which is very unlike me. All of my life, I've always been the happy and put together one, so eventually it got really bad. I don't like to call it depression, so I'll just say that I was really down. I remember one day in the middle of the day saying, If the God I've been praying to all these years is even real, why would you let me go through this? If you can hear me, I want my grandma. I'm referring to my grandma, Sandy, who I always had a very close relationship with. Her and I were joined at the hip, but she died from ALS when I was in the fourth grade. I take after her in so many ways, it's crazy, and my grandfather says to this day, he sees parts of her in me. I called for my grandmother, and at that exact moment, I got a sign. I have this small jewellery box that looks like an upright piano. The jewellery box is also a little music box. The dial for the music player is on the bottom of the piano. You wind it up, and then where the foot pedal for the piano would be, there's a little switch. Moving the switch to the side allows the gear to turn and the music to play. The box hadn't been wound in years, and the switch wasn't moved, but the music played. It only played for a couple of seconds, but my dog and I both reacted at the same time. The music box played, but the switch wasn't moved. After the initial, holy shit, that was real, I felt calm and my emotional and physical state started to improve, and I'm now back to my usual self. And story number three comes from Amanda. I've been debating sending this story in because it seems outlandish, as does most with the paranormal, I suppose. If you're sceptical of this, I totally respect that, but I can assure you that those of us that were there do not doubt it and are happy that it's not our reality anymore. My dad was waiting for his new house to be built, so he took a position in a small Minnesota town where he grew up as a caretaker for the churchyard. It was a typical small church, which are peppered all over the towns of less than 2,000 people in Minnesota. The church stood next to a white house with a garage in the far back of the yard and an old graveyard was on the opposite side of the house than the church was. The graveyard was very unsettling. It's very small, maybe five rows, and the first two rows are children under five years old, mostly infants from the 1800s. The house used to be the pastor's quarters, but became the house for whomever the caretaker was, which was us, for a summer. My dad, mom and my little sister, who was around 10 at the time, lived there. I lived two hours away. My mom has always taken in any animal that needs it, and at the time they had three grown cats, our family dog Keats, and an abandoned four-week-old kitten who was getting bottle-fed. The kitten has no further place in the story, but it was just so freaking cute. I've always been a bit sensitive to the paranormal. I see things and I would prefer not to. The first time I visited the house, I saw and felt nothing. The second time I visited, I was not so lucky. It was mid-morning, and I came up to see my family for the weekend. After roaming the cemetery and taking notice of the old stones, I felt a little lightheaded. I then looked up to the upstairs window in the house and I saw a face. Just for a second. It was hollow and dark and felt very sinister. As soon as I saw my mom, I told her what I had seen, and she proceeded to tell me some of the strange things that had been happening. 
There were always blue lights above the cemetery late at night. They would come and go at different intervals. There was a day where my sister and my mom witnessed bugs crawling all over everything on the top floor of the house. My mom captured a couple in a jar. My mom and my sister then scooby-dooed out of there until my dad came home. All activity always ceased when my dad was at home. So when he arrived that evening they were gone. But he couldn't explain what my mom had in the jar. My mom was always very sick in the house, sometimes even violently ill and could never sleep. As soon as she'd got away for a few hours, she would feel better and normal, but exhausted. There were swarms of ground hornets and snakes everywhere. The basement had a dirt floor and there were always snakes down there. It was heavy and wet and you instantly wanted to leave. My grandmother once went down there and came running back up. When she caught her breath, she said, Hell, if I'm going down there again, Keep everyone out of there. I should add that my grandma is not afraid of snakes. When she was little, she would pick them up out of her garden and move them to safer spots where they wouldn't bother her vegetables. So I don't think that's what upset her. And she won't talk about it. My family has had many more experiences, but I don't want to be a long-winded Larry, so I'll get back to it. That night, Keats, who was 12 at the time and the best little floof we could have in our family, was in the bathroom when I ran to use it at around 11pm. She was breathing hard and laying on her side and looking around frantically. I laid by her because I was scared for her health and I'd never seen her like that. I was crying and asking her to be okay. Behind me in the dining room I started to hear hard repetitive footsteps. My whole body tensed and prickled. I eventually turned to look back. I saw a man a pastor, pacing and muttering back and forth, back and forth, frantic and aggressive. I screamed for my mom. She came down and we took Keats into the living room, the only room in the house that didn't feel evil. She eventually fell asleep breathing normally, and don't worry, she lived for years after that. I told my mom what I saw, and she said that the dining room is an original part of the house, and the room off the side of it was the pastor's bedroom. The living room is the only new addition to the house, which is why it felt different. This dining room, which would have been the main room of the house before the addition, was always so cold it was unbearable. On a 90 degree day with the windows open, that room remained ice cold and chilled you to the bone when you entered it. It became commonplace for my entire family to sprint through it. That night I slept on the couch in the safe room with Keats. I could hear the footsteps throughout the night, although they weren't as strong. The next morning, I looked out of the window to the graveyard and there was a glowing woman in white weeping in the first row. Good fucking morning to me. My dad got home that afternoon and the weekend proceeded without incident. Just the feeling of unease and more snakes in the grass than I've ever seen in my life. Before the summer ended, my dad found a hidden crawl space underneath the garage. It was a narrow passage with a ladder stairs that led down to a concrete chamber that had chains and shackles on the wall. He was a bit perplexed and approached the church council about it. They said it was used to milk cows and warned him to leave it at that. My dad left it alone but definitely had some questions. Firstly, what kind of magician can get a cow down into a narrow chamber down ladder steps? And secondly, 
what kind of lunatic shackles their cow for milking. It definitely didn't add up. After we got out of the house, all activity ceased. My mom's health returned to normal, and I let curiosity get the better of me, and I researched what that chamber could have been used for. I found a similar story about the same kind of space from a different small town in Minnesota that stated that off-the-books exorcisms would take place in them because the area was so remote the Catholic Church couldn't or wouldn't travel there. I don't know if this is the case for that particular situation. It's easy to say it's not. But it would explain a lot if it was. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And thank you to Steffi, JC and Amanda for sending in your stories. Just a reminder that the last story is from August the 5th, 2020. And I did see some people asking, why do I always give the date and say what date the last story is from? The reason is, is that gives people an idea of where I am, where I'm up to and how long it'll be before their story is read. If you would like to send in your own story, you can do so by emailing it to Podcast at gmail.com. And you can find out everything you need to know about us on our website, which is reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. Thank you so much much for listening and we will see you next week.